Welcome to Real Estate Agent Superstars. I'm your host, RJ Baxter with Intercap Lending. And today I've got with me Jason Saroy of Compass Real Estate. He is a real estate agent extraordinaire and all-around good guy. Mm -hmm. He's been in the business about five years. And, and what I really like about Jason is he has perfected his buyer process. And he's going to talk to us a little bit more about that today. And really appreciate being on the show, Jason. Thanks for joining us. RJ, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. You've been in real estate about five years. Why yeah. real estate? Why did you get involved in this crazy business? You know, my my kind of origin story to real estate is, I think, kind of unique. Um, I was actually doing it. I was in a sales operations role at a startup in San Francisco, um, and I was listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast religiously, and mm. I was. I was, you know, listening to all these success stories and uh, it dawned on me that that so many people who were finding success in the real estate investment space also had their real estate license, not all of them, but some of them at least. And the original thought was, man, I need to start buying real estate because it seems to be a, uh, a major part of most people's uh, wealth creation journey. And um you know, in terms of, you know, getting, getting my license, I thought, well, I really love what I'm doing, but the career path, the trajectory, um, I didn't think it was really going to, uh, lead me to a place where I wanted to be having the, the freedom to create my own schedule and to work outside. I was kind of, you know, sick of being chained to a desk. Um, but I did love what I was doing and who I was working with. And it was a fantastic experience overall. So, um, I guess bigger pockets was the, the ultimate gateway for me. Um, and then fast forward, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was 2018. I had quit my job, uh, studied for my real estate license, um, and, you know, flew out to Colorado and took the, took the exam, interviewed with five brokers. And, uh, three weeks later I was here doing real estate. So it was a, it was a major change. A lot, a lot of, uh, you know, new location, new state, new career kind of all at once. Crazy. So why, well, first of all, where did you come from? Where'd you move from? From San Francisco. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Why Colorado? I mean, have you been here? I mean, <laughs> so. Ne never. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I visited Colorado the first time, I believe it was 2015. And the the good friends that I came to visit, they just, they, they took me around, took me under their wing. And we did like everything you can imagine. It was like the most Colorado weekend ever. So we, we did like. Fort, Fort Collins brewery touring. We went snowboarding at Winter Park, snowboarding at Copper, explored Boulder, hiked at Chautauqua, and had a day out in Denver. And I was just like, man, this this place has everything. It's it's yeah. beautiful. It has all the outdoor activities that I love. And Denver is really it's the perfect sized city. And mm -hmm. at that time, mm -hmm. I wasn't I wasn't done with my my time i was i was really enjoying my the career path that was on and the people i was um i was surrounding myself with in the bay area and um i just wasn't quite ready to make that change but when my 30th birthday rolled around i thought to myself hey like i'm getting the life compass out here um where am i going and am i you know ending up in in gonna end up in the right place and uh you know, I love the people that I was living with at the time, but I was like, man, I'm 30 and I have three roommates and I want to buy a house someday. And uh, buying a house in San Francisco is just a tough, 
a tough barrier to get over yeah. as most can probably imagine. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So did you, when you moved here, you, so you started right into real estate, did you have immediate success or were there some struggles early on? You know, it's funny. I actually, when I was interviewing with uh, some brokers, one, one of them had told me, Hey, expect to not, if you do this on your own and don't join a team, expect it to take about six months before you get your first sale. And I thought to myself, I've done this sales thing for the past six years. I got this dialed in. It's not going to take me that long. I'm going to do this. I've got enough savings to just, you know, make, make things last for a little bit. I'm going to be all right. And uh, it took me five months and 30 days to get my first sale. And so that was like the most accurate, I don't know if like the, like I just kind of set that into my subconscious, but the universe just ensured that it was going to be exactly that six month mark. So, uh, no, not an immediate success. I mean, I was, I was trying all the things I was calling Fizbo's. I was calling expireds with zero success. I didn't really, uh, you know, even though I had cold called in the past and I had gotten good at it in that realm, I didn't know how to talk about real estate. So Ooh. I just needed to get the reps in. And oddly enough, my very first ever client was an employee of the company that I had stopped working for prior to coming oh, yeah. up to Colorado. So I thought to myself, man, all these efforts, doing open houses, calling Fizbo's, calling expires, letting people know on social media what I'm doing, where I'm doing it, all that ended up leading to, you know, a, a friend working mm -hmm. with me in Colorado. And you know, there, it was definitely related in some ways um, in that, you know, the social media presence and letting, making sure like mission number one, make sure that everybody who knows who I am knows what I do and where I do it. I think that's ultimately how it ended up snowballing from that point. Okay. Yeah. So was that kind of an aha moment for you when you helped your friend as opposed to people you were cold calling? Or yeah, it was an aha moment to realize like, Dear Lord, this job is way harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, kind of funny enough, you know, because I realized it took me six months to get my first transaction closed, I, I actually joined a team for a very short period of time. It was about four months. I was on this team and, uh, you know, I, it was a great relationship with that particular team. And it just ended up, uh, you know, parting ways after I realized, hey, I think I can actually do this on my own. I think I have a, a strong enough a sphere of influence here and things are starting to pick up some momentum. So I took the leap and, you know, changed brokers about 11 months into the whole game and I've uh, been on doing my own thing since then. Okay. Yeah. So when did things kind of turn for you and where it started to really click and you started closing transactions consistently? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a distinct moment. So oh. it was in, um, right around, uh, March of 2020, right before the whole world shut down, um, mm -hmm. I had been working with these clients for a while and they were on their eighth. Well, let me, let me back up just a little bit. They had been writing several offers and these offers just weren't getting accepted. And so I went to my, um, managing broker at the time and I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, what am I doing wrong here? And this was such a light bulb moment for me. He goes, well, look, you're writing offers. And these offers are, they're clean, um, that they're strong, but you're writing an offer for what the home is worth today. And you're losing to people who are writing an offer for what the home is worth three to six months from now. And I thought, oh, okay. Interesting light bulb. 
And from that moment, like the very next offer that I wrote for these folks got accepted. And what was even better is the home actually appraised at value. And it was just like gangbusters at that point. It was like, it was on, I totally knew how to analyze a property through assessing the market condition and where things were going and how to be competitive in a multiple offer situation. And I just applied the, the same formula and, you know, made some tweaks depending on, you know, each, each property, of mm -hmm. course, but, um, yeah. it was, I, I started to really find the stride and the formula necessary to win bidding wars. So, so what is the formula or what, what did you learn at that point on how yeah. to analyze those properties? For sure. So it, it, for me, it started with, with really going deep on the buyer consultation from the get go. I mean, the very first conversation you have with somebody, this, this should not be just over the phone. This should ideally be in person. And if not, then over a zoom. And I really refined the buyer consultation. And I really don't like the word presentation, by the way, because it's like, you're not presenting to people. This is a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, you're having yeah. a con consultative approach to this. And I wanted to go deep and find out like, okay, what's really important to people? What are your wants? What are your needs? Is there any compromise in these, in these areas? What geography is important to you? And really being a, a you know, a great listener was key in that. So if you, if you take good notes during that process, and then you show them live within like what's available on the market through whatever platform you're using and um, really explaining what are the levers that these buyers are going to be able to pull in a multiple offer situation, which as we remember, like everything in 2020 through 2022 until June was, mm -hmm. was a bidding war. Um, so ultimately it was, you know, Hey, Hey buyer, like, here's the process. Let's, let's dive into what it is you want. Let's get you in touch with an amazing lender. So we are clear and we're not starting to shop for homes that are, are going to be out of price range for you. Mm -hmm. And then understanding once we enter this market, which is very competitive, how do we make your offer stand out? And, you know, the elements of the offer that we need to know before your earnest money becomes non-refundable is number one, is the house in good condition as in, you know, inspection here. So are we talking about how's the roof, sewer line, HVAC foundation, major plumbing, major electrical and radon? I call those the big seven. So those are all the big items that we can probably ask the seller to work with us on, even if it's a bidding war situation. And I have found that most sellers are just like, yeah, hey, no problem. That's a reasonable ask if there's some root intrusions in the sewer line or we have some major repairs. <clears throat> and the other thing is being realistic about where the home is likely to appraise. Because as we both know, you're only going to get a loan for the value based on the opinion of an appraiser. So I took a couple, I know I'm kind of long-winded here, but um, when I took a couple appraisal um I guess it was some continuing education classes on how do the appraisals work? What data are they using? How does an appraiser think? Whenever I'm getting, um, whenever I'm looking at the, re the recent sales for a, for a comparable home that a client's going to make an offer on, I, I really want to get precise and in as narrow of a window as possible where the home is likely to appraise. Um, so then with okay. all this information, we can then make an informed, confident decision knowing that, hey, we're going to appraise around this value. And if I know already that, hey, they have offers that are way above where this house is likely to appraise, when we have this discussion about appraisal gap coverage, are you prepared to overpay for the house? And then we have to have that discussion up front with our lender 
early on so that should we need to make adjustments to the down payment to make things work, then we can do that. And obviously, you know, you're aware that if you're putting very little down, three and a half percent, it's very hard to wiggle on that. But if you're putting 20% down, you have a lot more wiggle room in that appraisal gap coverage. So it was really just, you know, learning the contract, learning which levers to pull and when, and communicating those levers to the clients. So I have a lot of questions based on what you were just saying. There's a lot of yeah. good stuff there. Um, so you're talking about a, a buyer consultation and you were referencing looking at where a house appraises for yeah. um, and having that conversation about bidding over the asking price potentially. Do you um, do the consultation once the buyer has a particular house in mind or do you like, for example, if they're just talking, starting to talk to you and not necessarily out looking yet, do you bring examples? How do you handle that? So the, the buyer consultation happens at the very first meeting that, okay. you know, this is like, you know, maybe somebody refers a buyer to me, um, you know, a client, a friend, somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I'm thinking about buying a house. Mm. Um, can you, can, should we talk? And we go deep into the process at that point. Um, but once they are pre-approved and ready to go financially, that's when we can like truly go out and start shopping. But there's, there's really no shopping that occurs before that point. So that's when you have that conversation about what it looks like to bid over the asking price. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So if, if that's, know, if that's part the of the buyer, the part of the buyer consultation is understanding market conditions, right? Okay. And it's, and it's setting expectations like, Hey, you know, you know, if you want to live in these five neighborhoods, so does everybody else. And if you have mm -hmm. a, and if your budget is, well, I mean, you know, in the Denver Metro, our, our, our prices have risen quite a bit, but, you know, if you're shopping between, you know, 600 and 800, that is, you know, in the Highlands or Sunnyside, Berkeley, Wheat Ridge, Golden, I mean, that's where everybody wants to live. So we just got to have to be realistic about, hey, where are things going to go? Are you going to be in a bidding war? Um, and if so, how do you remain competitive while also keeping your earnest money protected? So yeah. do you have a checklist of things you like to go through on the oh, man. consultation? I am all about standard operating procedures. I've got SOPs for everything. Um, I love it. And I think that's honestly my my sales operations background that has really come through. And that was a lot of value um, or a lot of experience that really helped me in real estate early on. It was just having processes for everything. Because at the end of the day, we can remember, or at least maybe I should only speak for myself, I can remember 90% of the things that need to happen. And there's probably a good chance that if I forgot that other 10%, the client wouldn't even notice. But it's a 10 out of 10 experience when absolutely every single checkbox is checked in the process. And this goes for people who have bought once or twice with me. This isn't just like a first-time buyer checklist. So whether you're a good friend, whether you're a complete stranger, uh, someone who we just, you know, we met on through Instagram or through realtor.com or Zillow, we're all going to go through the same process. So nothing's forgotten. How have you mapped that out? Do you have your whole process in one place mapped out or do you have mm -hmm. like the, the pre, uh, you know, the, the pre outlooking process and then the during the looking process and yeah. then the after Every closing stage, process? Every stage of the process has a series of tasks that should occur, right? And, you know, as somebody is going from, hey, I'm just thinking about shopping, I just want to start conversations. 
um, versus, hey, we are now pre-approved and we have buyer agency signed and we are working together and shopping together and then under contract and then post-closing. So every one of those stages has a series of steps. And where do I keep all of those? It's really, you know, I guess I could talk about this in a couple of ways. Um, the Compass CRM, the Compass platform, is one of the absolute best CRMs in the real estate game. Um, I was a Salesforce administrator in my previous life. And when I first got into real estate, I was really just dabbling around different uh, CRMs. And I really was surprised at how lackluster and antiquated a lot of the technology seemed to be. Yep. And, you know, and with, with no, you know, sponsorships or plugs or anything, I found that follow-up boss was an amazing CRM. I had some experience with Sierra interactive. I liked them a lot, but then the compass CRM is as good as it gets as well. And there's Siri thinking I'm talking to, to it there. there. Um, so all those steps and those standard operating procedures live within the the platform. Is it uh, proprietary or is it a? Is so it the like Compass, a... yeah, the Compass CRM is for is only available to Compass agents. But okay. if you're not with Compass and you're looking for like an amazing CRM, again, just a plug that's not sponsored by any means. Follow up boss is a really good one. I've heard really good things about follow up boss, and I'm actually in there with a real estate team I work with, and I, oh, nice. I like it. Yeah, we don't use it to the depth. That you guys use it as agents. We're just putting notes sure. in there on follow-ups and that kind yeah. of thing. But nice. I can see it's a strong platform. Absolutely. Yeah. So then um, tell me a little bit, without going too much into the weeds, a little bit how that looks in your CRM. Do you have it where you have, for example, a layout that has everything sort of mapped out? Or do you have reminders that, that go? Does the CRM send emails to your uh, buyers? All the above. Yeah, have it's kind of up? all the above. This this particular CRM does it does everything except for send text messages in an automated manner, which is okay. fine because I, I have found that in this industry there's a lot of people who strive to just automate every single step of this process, which I think is so silly because you should stay in the process, stay in flow with your people mm -hmm. and if you want to automate everything, I mean, I, I don't think this is the right career path for you because the human element of real estate is what makes it special. And you can't just send automated happy birthday messages every year and expect that referral business is going to flow your way. So um, anyway, that's <laughs> quite a digression away from the question I realized. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what does that particular platform do, the Compass CRM? It I can create templated emails, which I will have. I like to actually be the person who hits send on a lot of these things because they're going to be yeah. a template is just an outline and there's going to be certain things that are uh, changed. Like, for example, when I'm launching a, a transaction that has just gone under contract on the buy side, I want to let my, my clients know, hey, I'm going to introduce you to our transaction coordinator. This is when your earnest money is due to this location. If you plan on wiring the funds, make sure you call this number. And these are all things that have to actually be manually changed within that template, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and another example of that would be at the end of a transaction, I have a um, utilities checklist for my clients. Hey, and I have one for Denver, one for Lakewood, one for Wheat Ridge, one for Arvada, one for Golden, because all the municipalities have a little bit different you know, rules, like who's your water, which is changed by title. But then who's your power provider? Who's your gas and electric provider? Those types of things. So that can be templated out 
and just the PDF is attached automatically to those emails and you just hit send and go. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I, and I think what you said, I know you, you, you thought you sidetracked a little bit, but I think that was a key point about not automating everything. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's, that's what's going to separate people as we get into this era of AI. And I mean, that's automation at its craziest, right? I mean, if, if AI can do all that stuff, what's the purpose of having even having a real estate agent or a lender? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, nobody wants to do business with robots. No. You know, even though ChatGPT can write a great listing description, sure, that's fine. But it's not going to draft a quality message for somebody that when you're, you know, condoling them for the death of a family member or consoling them for the death of a family member or... Uh, wishing them a happy birthday. I mean, send a video message to somebody instead of just a generic happy birthday from my CRM. I mean, my dentist sends me that. That's fine. I don't need that from people who I'm actually close with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I my personal opinion is I think in five years the AI could, could potentially write messages like that that seem authentic, but yeah. still to have the human element out of it, I think people will want that. Yeah. They want it. They want a person they can have a conversation with face to face and absolutely and really, uh, and be be listened to. Yeah, you know, I I just came back from the Tom Ferry conference, uh, the summit event that is his annual big, um, you know, like six thousand people get together and it's it's this amazing presentation of what's current, what's happening in technology, and there was a huge emphasis on AI as nobody was surprised to see, but some of the tools yeah. were truly mind-blowing that are that are here today in in video in eye contact with a camera while you're looking away from the camera and reading a script and all kinds of strange things but my my opinion on that is that you can a, a lot of ai generated content and you know or, or whatever kind of you know things that we're sending out to the masses that might make somebody look good, but what you can't fake is that face-to-face -face interaction. And there's going to be a value put on authenticity as more and more AI is brought to market, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I agree, absolutely. And that's what's gonna keep us relevant as professionals. So Yeah, you know, I'm really not scared of, of our jobs going away in this industry. I, I don't think you can remove the human element and you know, I don't, I don't think an algorithm is going to be able to negotiate very well uh, when things are, when things come up at inspection or you have a low appraisal or you need to actually have a human element Forward. because the, the, the face-to-face -face, or maybe not face-to-face, -face, but the human to human element of a real estate transaction with the cooperating mm -hmm. agent on the other side or with the lender. Um, I have absolutely had a lot of concessions granted because of the human to human approach that, that's taken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so back to the, your buyer process. What yeah. are some what are some key things you've learned over the over your career that are that are some um, I don't know some things that stand out as processes that you put in place that have made a huge difference. Don't skip any steps. <laughs> I mentioned yeah. that already, but it's important to you know make sure that everybody is going through the same standard operating procedures um, whenever uh -huh. you try to take a shortcut it can come back and bite you because maybe somebody didn't have an expectation of a certain um, outcome or did have an expectation falsely. Um, and, and really doing the work, 
and just putting in the time. When you're advising your client, we have, first of all, we have fiduciary responsibility to them if they are under buyer agency. And by taking the time to analyze the comparable sales and convey and communicate your offer strategy and why you think it's going to win, that's where all the trust is built. And it's where that's where the referrals are going to come if you're lucky, right? You got to build that trust and people need to like, people need to feel and understand that you truly do have their best interest in mind. Cause if you're just, if they're just a number or if they're just a, a check to you, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to show, it's going to show very quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, I love that term offer strategy. So what, what does that look like and what, how do you position that as a strategy? So, if I have a client who is interested in a home and I call the listing agent and I, you know, in the very first call, they've been on the market for 48 hours. It's a Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Hey, my name's Jason Sorrell with Compass. My clients are so excited about this house. We absolutely love it. We've got to have it. I know I wanted to just, you know, introduce myself, find out what's going on. How do you want to play this thing out? If the, if the next few words out of that listing agent's mouth are, Okay, that's awesome. We have three offers in hand and we have four other circling buyers. That's a very different offer strategy that we're probably going to need to take than the house that's been on the market for 90 days and no offers in hand, obviously. So the strategy that we approach or that we take, you know, one is aggressive, one is more conservative, one anchors low with the expectation of a counter offer. And one, you got to put up, you know, from the get go. And oftentimes the first offer that you make speaks very loudly. So here's what I, something I mean by that, like in a situation where I have, um, some clients that I know are offering on a home where there are already other offers on the table, we might consider. Well, I would always actually say like, we need to have appraisal gap coverage, even though we are confident that our offer is within the appraisal amount, the optics of having appraisal gap coverage gives the seller the confidence that no matter what happens, you're going to get what I am promising you. So barring any major defects that are discovered at inspection, this deal is not going to fail. You know, and the timing of inspection, if you do that within the first three to four days, that's a lot more attractive than saying, hey, well, we'll inspect in 10 days and we'll still have uh, one of our off ramps in the transaction, you know, a week before closing, push all that stuff up as early in the transaction as possible to give those sellers the confidence that says, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail fast. Makes sense. Yeah. So do you, when you present your offer strategy to buyers, do you get pushback sometimes where they either almost never, or, almost, almost never. never. Okay. Yep. Because if you have positioned yourself as, the expert up to that point. And when you prepared them for offers, if you know, I mean, I could tell you like probably from the initial buyer consultation, how things are going to go if they're going to make an offer in a hot neighborhood within the next two weeks. So if you prepare them for the hottest scenario possible, Hey, this is, this is what it's like when, when, when on offer day, they're not uncomfortable. They're like, Oh, we've been here before. We understand this is what you were talking about when we chatted two weeks ago. We get it. Let's go. 
and then they understand what happens so we can act fast instead of saying, this is what an appraisal gap is. This is an escalation clause. And here's the worst case scenario. If you're presenting that, and by the way, in, in Colorado, we have one of the longest real estate contracts in the nation is my understanding. Oh, and really? Yeah, it's like 18 pages long. So if you're seeing this offer for the first time and it's all this legal speak, you're like, dear God, this is so overwhelming to me as a buyer. You know, this isn't like going to the grocery store and buying a loaf of bread. I mean, this is a much more serious uh, contract with implications that are legally binding. So I need to make sure I understand this. But because I have gone through the prep and the homework prior to offer day, I feel prepared. So, so it has to do with how you're positioning yourself as a, as a professional and preparing those buyers uh, for that ultimate offer. So it's all the things leading up to that point yep. of uh, presenting the offer. That's strategy. right. That's right. Going back to your SOP. It's all about the SOP. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you know, I have a, I have a document called SOP master and it, and it sits on my bookmarks bar and it's constantly being updated and it's just a, okay, Hey, when somebody, you know, um, when, when I get a, a referral from an agent out of state, what things need to take place? All right. Well, I need to like, you know, send them a thank you card for sending the referral, um, introduce myself to the buyer, ensure that, the buyer understands that we are all on the same page and the agent who sent me and I, we're on the same page and I mean, you're, I'm your Denver area expert, no question about it. And how am I going to convey those things? Right? So it's just, if you don't skip the processes, it's kind of like, it makes it foolproof because mm -hmm. if I didn't have all those things, it would be a lot messier. Yeah. So, do, so you mentioned it's a tab on your browser. Is it like a Google doc or something or what do you use? Yeah, it's just a Google doc and the, yeah, standard operating procedure master. And that's kind of, and that, that okay. document is the master document. And then I, I copy and paste things out of that and put it into the CRM accordingly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what are you charging people to get this document from you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> There's Not probably people thinking I'd love to get a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sure. Well, so someone, well, I'm listening to this and thinking to myself, I really need to do that in my business. I mean, I have, but not to that detail. Um, sure. If someone's listening to this and they're thinking, man, I, you know, I don't have that, but I know I should probably do that. How would you suggest someone get started with developing yeah. their SOP? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So you can do it a couple of ways. There's kind of the easy way and the hard way. We'll start with the hard way. And that's really just... It's, I think it's an important exercise to mm -hmm. sit down, block out some time, turn your phone on airplane mode. Maybe don't do this during regular business hours and mm -hmm. just think about what would a 10 out of 10 experience look like for a buyer and mm -hmm. try to come from a headspace as if you knew nothing about the home buying experience. Mm -hmm. What would you want to be informed of and what would be important for you to know to feel confident moving forward? And then as you write those things down, it sort of just flows and you, you just start to understand, oh, this is a good step that I should add, or this is a good time to communicate this piece of information. And you have to be methodical about that. Cause if you just dump everything on somebody all at once, it's overwhelming mm -hmm. as well. And then you got to think about well, what's the way in which I want to present this. And, you know, you can use Canva, you can use all kinds of existing materials that are out there 
on the internet that, you know, you can just, you know, rip off and duplicate and slap your name on someone else's thing with their permission. It doesn't mean that you can just like copy it. Right. But, um, another easier path is getting some accountability. Um, and I found mine through coaching and I, and I, I get my coaching through Tom Ferry. And the reason I say that's actually like kind of the, the easier of the two paths is there are so many resources and it doesn't have to be Tom Ferry. It can be any real estate organization where there are shared resources. So mm -hmm. when there are agents in other markets that have shared their buyer consultation with the Tom Ferry community or whatever community, insert the name here, right? Whatever that looks like for you. Um, you can share resources and start to understand, oh, this works. That's interesting. I'm going to pull that because that makes sense for me. That resonates with me. That piece doesn't. I'm going to leave that off. And you can really just, um, you know, pick and choose the best pieces because there are a lot of people who are very willing to share their their processes that are probably ahead of you in the game. Totally. I think that's such a key point. I mean, why reinvent the wheel if there's colleagues that are willing to totally. share? Totally. Yeah. And frankly, yeah. you know, real estate, you know, this is this is a a career where you're you're an entrepreneur in a lot of senses, but you're not do you're not like inventing something brand new, right? This has been around for right. a long time. But what you can't what you do have control over is the way in which you do it. And mm -hmm. I mean you can you can make the process whatever you want. I mean, this is a choose your own adventure type of of industry. So um if you want to lean heavily into you know, online documentation, you can create this whole everything on Canva, you can make it look however you want, as long as, you know, it conveys all the right information. Yeah, I love it. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you being on and sharing this, this is really, I, I respect how you have this dialed in like this, because it, it takes work, it takes yeah. focus, and it takes time to really sure. define your processes. And it's really impressive. Yeah, thanks for saying that. It it has taken a lot of time and, and it's an evolving process. You know, I, I have there's been plenty totally. of times when I have even gone through and said, hey, you know, at the end of that consultation, I'll, you know, I'll kind of reflect on it for a few minutes and think that piece didn't really resonate with this person. You know, was that kind of a one off or maybe do I need to change things up and change my delivery or change the way mm -hmm. I illustrate this process on my document or whatever. So it's just being flexible and open to, you know, constant evolution and improvement. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jason. This has been great. And if people want to get a hold of you, are you open to that? I mean, how can people find you? I'm super easy to find. Uh, Instagram is my most, you know, frequented social media platform, Jason.Soroy, S-I-R-O-I-S. And you can also Google my name. I'm, I'm quite easy to find. Yeah, I found all your video stuff you've been doing. So nice. Pre pretty impressive there as well. <laughs> nice. Thank you very much. I need to get more consistent with the videos, but it is, uh, it's yeah. fun to create those. Yeah, there's a lot to do in, in the real estate business. There is. Yeah, for sure. that's for sure. So awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, for those of you that are listening, if you uh, found value in this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues and also consider subscribing. That's how the word gets out. Once again, my name is RJ Baxter here with Jason Soro and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, RJ. Thank <laughs> you.